Hi, Tsui. Good to have you on the show. Thanks so much for having me. So uh, for everybody who doesn't know you, could you please tell us a bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, uh, you know, I'm a combination of a software developer uh, turned product person, turned entrepreneur, speaker, author. Um, it's kind of a winding story, but like the more important thing nowadays is um, I was recently the co-founder and CEO of Contactually. And I say recently because we, uh, our company was acquired um, er, uh, earlier this year in 2019. Um, and also, you know, I leveraged all the insights and everything that we learned um, about how to build relationships with Contactually into a book, uh, which came out um, called Success is in Your Sphere. Got it. So uh, before we talk about your new book, um, could you please share with our listeners the story behind like how you built uh, Contactually? And maybe you could also share with us like how you got into entrepreneurship in the first place. So Yeah, so I'd say, I wish <laughs> you could say, oh, like, oh, I was an entrepreneur, you know, born entrepreneur and both my parents were entrepreneurs and I was the lemonade stand kid and things like that. Like, <laughs> no, not really. Like, you know, I am. Um, You know, I, I never really had an eye towards entrepreneurship, um, never really thought about like starting my own company or anything like that. Um, it was honestly only right after I graduated from university, my first day on the job, I was working for a large consulting firm and I realized like, oh, wow, I do not want to do this whatsoever. It was nothing to do wrong with the company, but I realized like I, I wasn't built to just kind of be told what to do, to mm. sit in a desk and say, this is your project, this is your job, these are your goals, go do it. Um, I, I needed to go out and kind of craft my own direction. And so ended up leaving there, you know, a couple years later. And I got to know a number of people, you know, there are obviously a few stops before there, but the important arc is that um, I was interested in entrepreneurship. And so I got to meet a lot of people locally who were starting companies and um, end up going on to do amazing things. And um, I learned very early on that my relationships were my most important asset, that all the amazing things happened in my career because I knew the right people. And so I naturally looked for like how I could improve this. And being an entrepreneur, you want to scratch your own itch first. And so I said, well, Why can't technology help us build better relationships? And so that was the idea behind Contactually in 2011. Um, you know, it was about just helping us stay better in touch and, uh, you know, grew from there. <laughs> so uh, what happened then? So uh, you, you, you had this idea and um, yeah, what, what happened then? Yeah, I mean, uh, it, there are obviously many things that, have, that happened yeah. after that, you know. <laughs> over seven and a half years from the point that we started it to when we were acquired. Yeah, speak um, about the but, early days, so. Yeah, you know, the early days, you know, so this started off as a prototype. Like, I was running a consulting firm before this. You know, I was working with a lot of different agencies, startups, big companies, government organizations building out their products and things that were most interesting to them. And I knew I wanted to work on my own product. And Contactu was a prototype that we were experimenting with at the time. I knew that this is something that I wanted to pursue. And I had, there were a few failures before um, of me trying to start something, never really going anywhere because I would give up and just kind of go back to my day job, for lack of a better term. And so early on, I did two really key things. One, I brought on two co-founders um, to provide a forcing function for me because I did not feel like I would be successful as a solopreneur back then. And two, I showed this to as many people as possible. Everyone I talked to, I would ask for feedback on the idea. I would mm. ask them to try out the idea. And that was important because you know, the one of the key things that, that then happened was I was out in the Bay Area um, in San Francisco um, meeting, just, I had a bunch of meetings and a conference I was attending, but again, I showed it to everyone that I, everyone that I knew, I happened to know through my network, I happened to know a partner at 500 startups, which is a very popular venture incubator. And he right on the spot without me prompting said, Hey, Svi, I will fund you to focus on this full time and turn Contactually from a prototype into a company. And so that was awesome. Yeah. And so the lesson for me and hopefully for others is, 
you know, there's always this fear that like, oh, someone's going to steal your idea. And really like that's the idea. <laughs> is ridiculous. It's the execution that matters. And so mm-hmm. I, I'm at a point where even if I have a crazy idea nowadays, um, I'll share it with everyone I know. Um, because I, that's the way that you, that you vet whether or not there's a real business here. I, I really love this because um, I was just thinking about when I started in entrepreneurship, I was like building those huge websites and investing so much time in my first business ventures. And yeah, but, but nobody bought my product. So <laughs> instead of like acquiring the, the product as a customer first, I was thinking about getting feedback early. And I think that so, so many people who got into business or get into business um, do this mistake. They're like spending spending 50k in, in inventory and um, yeah getting web developers and investing so much time and money and then they are finding out that nobody is interested in their product and um, I really love that 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 you try to get so much feedback as quick as possible so yeah and I mean like don't get me wrong like I love to scratch my own edge and I have an idea for a product and I'll start working on a wireframe and like oh yeah this is great let me go start building it. You know, <laughs> I still do those things too but you know the, I, I, the lean startup methodology you know the most important thing out of it that really like made them a difference for me is that you should be spending you know just as much time um, you know aligning on what you're trying to achieve for your customers um, as you are building it And so talking to prospective customers and building it, a lot of people think, well, like, well, how can I find customers if I haven't built anything? And I'm like, well, what's the chance that you're going to find customers when you build something, right? Mm. So might as well try now. And at least <laughs> people will pick up the phone for you. <laughs> Very powerful. So uh, how did you make sure that you got the right people um, as a co-founder? Because I think that's a huge trend nowadays that people are looking for co-founders in their company. And um, I think it's like such an important decision that you really, really have to make sure that you're getting um, that you're working with the right people. So how did you make sure that you got the right co-founders in the first place? So, yeah, well, for all intents and purposes, I'm still not sure if I brought on the right <laughs> right obviously listen you know, the tactic is successful and we're very thankful for that but like who knows you know maybe i could have done better uh you know i would say like what i was looking for you know uh, it was two things like one um at least back at the time i did not have any business sense like i mm. built a business before but like i wasn't the sales guy i wasn't the marketing guy i was not that gonna be that person um and so how old were you back really, then uh 28 Oh, okay. um, yeah. And so I, I was not, I was not that person. And so I said, Hey, I need to bring on someone who is like the business counterpart. And at the same time, I also knew that, Hey, you know, we have to build the product and yes, I can do it, but I can't do it alone. And so my two co-founders, Jeff and Tony, um, Jeff was, you know, a software developer working with me at the time. He became our CTO. Tony, um, was, uh, your, you know, he was our COO. And he really like, you know, he was my counterpart throughout all this. If I was, mm-hmm. especially early on, focused on the product, he was focused on the business. Um, and while Jeff and I were building the product, he was out trying to get customers and understand like, you know, what the needs were and bring that back to us. And so that ended up being an amazing, amazing uh, experience. Awesome. So, uh, so what happened then? Then you eventually got the funding for the product. You had a lot of feedback on the product and, uh, what happened then? So, yeah, I mean, like there was not like, it was a, I would say like, we kind of kept spinning this iterative cycle and really over the seven and a half years, like, yes, there were kind of like, like somewhat noted, like noteworthy inflection points, mm. but really I, I would say for the seven and a half years, it was, a. Uh, hopefully a pretty good textbook example of running an iterative process, meaning that we would learn from customers what they would want. Um, we would build something, um, you know, we would then gain more customers from that and that would kind of keep spinning the flywheel. And so, yeah, of course, mm. you know, we went from, you know, on the investment side, we went from raising, you know, 115 angel capital to, 300k to 500k to uh, for our first million then to two million then to eight million you know um so we kind of kept raising larger sums of money 
Same with you. Same with customers. First, you know, I knew every single person signing up for the product (laughs) and I didn't know everyone signing up for the product, but I got to know them really well. So I knew every single person that would end up becoming a customer of ours. Um, Then all of a sudden I started not knowing our customers. And then we started bringing Mm. on bigger customers and bigger customers and signing million dollar contracts. And so, you know, it was a constant just kind of step function. And so that's why like, you know, I wish I could say there was any kind of, you know, watershed moments, but you know, it really was a, uh, it really was just a series of just these small little tweaks. You know, one of, for example, one of the very small decisions that we made early on that like was seemingly like, you know, not noteworthy back then, but made a huge difference for us is, um, uh, one of the books I always recommend to entrepreneurs is crossing the chasm by, uh, by Jeffrey Moore. And he argues that, you know, if you want to go from early adopters to early majority, the thing that you need to do in order to do that is to focus on a particular niche. And so actually, we were focused on anyone who needs help with relationships. But we said, hey, if we want to try and go from early adopters to early majority, late majority, we really need to focus on a particular market because Jeffrey has this good idea. Um, and so we ended up focusing on residential real estate, um, you know, residential real estate agents because they seem to fit fit that really well. And again, it was like, all right, let's let's try and go after more real estate agents. You know, we had an intern. We said, hey, we want you to kind of go after it. Now we became the biggest CRM in the real estate industry, and we're we've been acquired now part of um, you know a large real estate technology company. Um, but again, it's small little tweaks back then that made a huge difference in our destiny. Mm. So so basically one of your biggest lessons were like um, the importance of like tweaking and testing and yeah, getting feedback in. Exactly. So um, what have been like the, the biggest barriers, so to speak, or the biggest problems that you've had while scaling the business? Uh, I mean, you know, I would say there's kind of two areas we can talk through, like one yeah. on the business side and one on the, um, you know, one on the you know, personal side. We can talk about the personal oh, side. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or yeah, we can talk, uh, we can talk about both of them on the business side. I think like generally, like there are two areas of challenges that a business will face on. One is the market risk and two is the execution risk. Um, you know, on the market risk side, I mean, we were doing something that was incredibly challenging. We were in a region that is generally, at least used to not be friendly to startups, like in terms of investment capital, things like that, like being based in Washington, D.C., of all places. Um, We were selling to small businesses, which poses a lot of issues, um, you know, versus enterprise uh, software companies. Uh, and three, we were, um, you know, we were selling to the residential real estate industry, which I think is a huge opportunity, but definitely like rife with a number of challenges and structural issues. Um, so that that was that. And then obviously on the execution risk side, you know, we were three first time founders. Um, we made all the usual mistakes. Um, you know, we hired we you know we hired too much then we you know didn't let go of certain people fast enough um we weren't always clear with our direction we weren't always focused on a particular market um we made a number of big issues um and i think the important thing though is that like we take a step back and i think we have to accept that that like that's the that's just the case of businesses that you're going to make tons of Mm. mistakes even at Compass now, you know, we, you know, Compass, you know, we are incredibly successful as a company, but we are rife with errors and mistakes all the time. Um, uh, the important thing, though, is that I think one of the habits that we instilled very early on at Contactually is one, really good culture, and two, um, just a constant persistence. I, I know many entrepreneurs who, you know, have unfortunately given up way too early that if they just tried a little bit further, if they just pushed, mm. if they tried to make their money and the bank balance stretch out a little bit further, great. So that's on the business side. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. 
So what 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 was on the on the personal side? So? Uh, on the personal side, um, you know, you've you've obviously like you know having listened to your podcast, you know, I've been I like you've spoken to live entrepreneurs who, you know, talk about like the personal struggles yeah. um, that they face and the depression and things like that. And I won't necessarily say like that. Oh, like oh, I had tons of real really dark times, or you know, ever thank God you know, thought about suicide or anything like that, um, but. I will say that, you know, for me personally in my head, I spent seven and a half years in survival mode, right? Hmm. What uh, do you mean by that? Yeah, I mean, like, listen, a startup, you know, your bank balance is always going down. Your goals and ambitions always are further ahead of where you want to be. You hire a team that's always ambitious and looking for their professional growth for the company to grow, for their brand. And so all of that will lead to lead an entrepreneur or, or any kind of leader to basically say, hey, what do I have to do to keep the business together for another month, for another week, for another day, for another year? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a very challenging mentality to think about. Like there is no point ever in the company's history where I felt, okay, cool, we got this, things are good. Because mm. at any point, you know, there was no plateau because at any point, you know, anytime you scale the mountain, you'd be like, well, there's another mountain over there that we should tackle. And our team needs us to go that mountain. Our investors need us to go that mountain. Our vision needs us to go that mountain. And so we were never, ever got to the point where we can look back and say, hey, you know what? Things are great. And I mean, I think you know, in some cases, you know, that's what we signed up for you know, with contactually, like we signed up for the big challenge, you know, we also, we very easily could have said, Hey, you know what? We want to get to a $2 million a year revenue business. And we just want to be happy. And we take good salaries and we hire good people and we do good work and we service our customers. And we're like, no, we want to go from, you know, 1 million to 5 million to 10 million to 20 million to hundred million. We want to serve this industry and this market and this market and this market, we want to do all of that. Um, and so I think that we signed up for that. But you know, one of my key takeaways is I want to make sure that in future ventures, um, I'm able to step out of survival mode and focus mm. on just loving, loving the journey and loving the struggle um, and not feeling like things are about to fall apart any, any other day. Yeah, and um, what would you tell to everybody who is now listening to this, who is going through this survival mode in the early days, and they're like getting started in business, for instance, and um, yeah, they're they're not making a lot of money. Maybe they're in debt, but they want to keep going. So, uh, what would you tell them? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think you know, for us, like, what would be you know, what is um, you know, what's really really helpful. Um, for me at least is yeah. to try and identify like what your baseline is meaning mm. like what is that like what is that level that maybe we could always go back to right like and you know what is the, what is the foundation of our business and it could just be like the customers you have and the revenue you have and then be strategic around making investments to go beyond that we never thought about like that solid layer it was always like almost like kind of, you know, in some cases, we almost felt like we were always just kind of building a house of cards. And the only way to keep building a house of cards is to kind of keep building as fast as you can and hope things don't fall apart. Where if we said, hey, this is this is what works really well for us. These are the solid parts of our business. This is a solid revenue and this is the frontier. Great. And I think that, you know, to no surprise, that largely comes down to, you know, the main thing, which is, you know, cash balance, you know, and uh, and I do still believe that cash is king. And we, you know, we probably could have you know, thought more around making sure that we had that stable underlying business um, that we said, hey, if need be, we can always, you know, um, wind down this program or stop spending over money over here and then we'd be profitable. And so that probably would have helped me a fair bit. Mm. So, um, what, in your opinion, like, what are like the biggest difference between like making a million dollars in, in revenue per year and ten million? Like, what are the biggest differences, in in your opinion? Yeah, you know, the um, I there's a quote um, 
there's a quote uh, for uh, from a venture capitalist that uh, I saw posted on Twitter, and I'm I'm butchering it, but he kind of gave the line that like it's just as hard to start a small business as it is to start a big business. Mm. You know, if you're opening up one restaurant or fifty, you're still going to be working really hard. Your job is going to your the nature of the job is going to be very different. But it's still gonna, but still gonna be a lot of work, um, and so that that's probably like the, one of the more important lessons for me. So, so basically, um, like making a million or ten million, it isn't like such a big difference. Both is hard. So each each brings its own problems, right? You yeah. know, a million, you know, getting to a million, you know, you're at the point where you're just trying to even like figure out if you have product market fit. Right. Mm. Um, that's the main point. Like getting to a, a million in revenue, let's pay per se as a software company is usually a good indicator. That, okay. I have enough customers that really want this 10 million. You're thinking, well, okay, I got to this, but like, you know, I have product market fit. Yeah. Yeah. I know that. But like, I need to find where my next $10 million worth of customers are going to come from. Right. Mm. Um, and when you're a million, you know, you have, you know, six people you know maybe working for you or 10 people working for you um and everyone's working well but you're like oh my god but like we just don't have enough hours and development hours we just need to hire you know another person hmm. um right um the question though is that like well you know when once you get to 10 million then you know you might have 50 or 100 people working for you And yes, of course, you always want to hire more people, but like your biggest issue is like communication and is every single person here working on the absolute best thing that they could and who's motivated and who's not. So again, like, you know, the grass is always greener. Yeah. When we got to 10 million revenue, I'd be like, yeah, wouldn't it be great to be at like six people in a room with a million revenue? But like, you know, I also remember that when we were really small, I was like, oh my God, wouldn't it be great? to have a big team and a big office, you know, you're, you're always, the grass is always greener. So again, it goes back to, you know, loving and enjoying and appreciating the state that you're in now, while of course being excited about the future. And, and how does one do that? Is there a solution to it? Or do you think it's just human nature and um, yeah, part of the game? Like, I mean, I think like it's, it's built in the entrepreneurial DNA to, you know, to never be satisfied with where you are. And then, yeah, human beings, you know, we always think that everyone else has some, has it better than us, yeah. especially in this world, you know, you could look at, you know, someone could look at my Instagram feed, for example, like, oh, wow, look at entrepreneur. He's, you know, at this cool, like, you know, he's in Miami at this awesome <laughs> conference, this beautiful hotel. And like, yeah, you don't realize I took a red eye to get here. I'm exhausted. I slept two hours. Now I have to spend, you know, I, I take a picture of the beach, but then I have to spend the whole day in a conference room, you know, trying to sell my, trying to, you know, to try and like br bring on additional customers. Right. So yeah, again, like, you know, that's why I think we're in this world where, you know, we have to stop looking at the external things and look more internally. Mm, yeah. And I think that's it's such a big lesson because I think so, so many people are encouraging like scrolling social media and so on and so forth. And it's like such a huge waste of time because I think that, um, yeah, it doesn't do any good for, for anybody who is like looking, looking for scrolling to other feeds and so on and so forth. So exactly. So um, what would you tell everybody who's now listening to our episode um, who wants to build a company? Like what would be your best advice on entrepreneurship for them? So, Yeah, I mean, uh, I think it goes down to, uh, you know, a, a few things. You know, one, um, you know, identify what you are going to need to make to make yourself successful and, you know, and figure out what it is, you know. And hmm. for me, for example, it's having a mission I believe in, um, having being able to very quickly identify those inspirational points that will keep me going every day. And then most importantly, you know, persistent execution every single day. Um, hmm. That is still like one of the most important things um, Two, you know, find an idea 
it doesn't have to be the best idea, but it's an idea that you think you can be passionate about. And then three, um, talk to everyone, right? Mm. You know, build relationships, work with everyone you can find under the sun. Um, and I, I truly, I, I see this and I, I sometimes don't practice what I preach, but then I go back and I practice it. And I'm like, Oh yes, right. That's that, that works. But talk to everyone, you know, because you'll find some absolutely amazing things that happen. Um, you know, that happen from that, you know, I, you, you show your prototype or your idea to someone and they say, Hey, I don't like this idea, but there's something very closely related that I think is a huge opportunity or, Hey, you should mm. talk to this person over here. They're actually thinking about something very similar. Um, so it's doing these small little things and going out and building that, you know, that luck surface area. Um, that's really where I've seen that great things can happen. Gotcha. Good advice. So, uh, what happened then after you sold the company and uh, yeah, please speak a little bit about the transitioning phase. So, yeah, you know, uh, it, it's interesting. So, um, Compass, Compass acquired Contact because Compass, the vision uh, here is to build out this larger end-to-end platform um, for the real estate industry. And it's a huge, really meaty, ambitious vision. Um, so that's obviously what brought us, you know, and what, you know, one of the reasons why we decided to join. Um, mm. So now, of course, you know, uh, you know, the job of my team is to help fulfill it. Um, we know that, you know, our our customers wake up every day with the same problems that they had as you know, when we were running Contactually, which means relationships are their most important asset. So we think about how do we help real estate agents grow their business via building and maintaining relationships. Now we're doing it within a much, much broader context. For example, you know, we have four product managers um, at Contactually and now at Compass on the CRM team. Well, there are 30 product managers at Compass. How does, you know, and, you know, we're not just building a CRM, we're building CRM functionality within a much larger platform. So it, it's brought up a whole set of issues. Uh, for me personally, like I've made this transition of being obviously like CEO of my company to now a leader within a much larger organization. So kind of, you know, learning my way of operating within a bigger organization has been a very challenging, but at the same time, rewarding experience. Um, and so that, that's what keeps me excited every day. It's a, it's a whole new opportunity to learn. <laughs> and um, h how does it feel like not being the CEO now and just being in the leadership position? Like, was it tough for you personally or like, <laughs> please fix no, that. Really, really great question. Um, I, uh, I'll preface this by saying that, you know, I was, I got enough warnings from colleagues of mine who'd sold businesses and kind of, you know, there are a few trends of what I had heard, seen half or heard or seen, uh, one, um, they got very depressed, hmm. um, which isn't too much of a surprise. You know, you, 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 it's your baby. You brought this thing from an idea into existence and, grew it, invest in it and put your blood, sweat and tears for. And so for all of a sudden that to be taken away from you or to not exist anymore or to be take a very different form, you know, can kind of leave a big gap in your soul. Um, so that that was one um, to the transition from entrepreneur to employee can be very challenging. And many entrepreneurs don't make it past like six months inside an acquired company because they just have to leave. They have to start a new company because they're like caged animals. Um, luckily, like both of those things, you know, with enough warning, both of those things have not panned out for me. Thank, um, thankfully, you know, I, I loved contactually, um, but we got to the point again, part of the reason why we knew it was time to sell, it was, we knew it was time to sell and there are many reasons behind, um, behind that. So we were ready and we kind of were prepared ourselves. Um, Sorry to interrupt, but, but how did you know it was time to sell? So, yeah, I mean, I think like we had achieved over seven and a half years, we had achieved some like amazing things and we had ticked off like, you know, a box. So I felt like there was still a huge opportunity in where we could go with Contactually. Personally, I kind of found like I was starting to get to a bit of a plateau. 
Mm. meaning like I think like myself and my co-founder, we weren't learning as much anymore. We kind of knew what to do every day. Um, and we saw there were definitely some big opportunities for further inflection points. And we do still believe that it was the day one for Contactually. Like we still knew there's huge opportunities ahead of us. The question was, how do we go about doing that? And we knew that it would either take a large, large amount of capital, a lot of time, or, you know, an acquirer to come in and make heavy investments into our mission and vision. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of looked at all those three options. At the end of the day, what, you know, what helped our decision was, you know, was, you know, seeing, seeing this opportunity with Compass. um, And we saw, okay, well, that checks all the box. It, it's a way to further accelerate our mission and vision. It's a completely new world for us. So it allows us, us and our team to accelerate our growth and allows us to invest in the product and the concept such to better benefit our customers. Mm. And so it really checked all three boxes for us. Um, and so that's kind of the point. Like I felt like, yes, you know, we were, you know, could we have gone from 10 to 15 to 20 to 30 to 40 million in revenue? Yes, absolutely. It would have taken either us being, you know, us raising a lot more money, which obviously comes with dilution and all the other challenges associated with that. Uh, we've taken a lot more time. And again, like, you know, time is the one thing that we have the scarcest, um, scarcest uh, availability of. And three, um, you know, we've taken, you know, partnering up with a much bigger company and we chose door number three. Mm. So uh, I was interrupting you. You were like talking about uh, your transition from being oh, a yeah, CEO. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and so like, you know, we definitely made that decision that it was time to time to look for, you know, time to look for a, a buyer or time to be open to the acquisition offers as it turned out. Um, and then too, like, I would say like for me, you know, yes, like I, I, I truly believe like I'm, I'm an entrepreneur through and through, and there's no question that I will be starting one company, then another, then another, another over the rest of my, over the rest of my, not just career, but my life. Um, I, I do, I do believe that. Um, that being said, um, I, I find that compass and luckily like you know, the, the place that we landed um, to be really, really excited, um, really, really exciting um, for me. You know, it's a it's a company that's moving fast. They're making all the right mistakes that a company in hyper growth should. It's still you know, they're still you know, they still have you know, um, values that relate to our values. And so. A lot of people feel that like, you know, hey, was it a big transition, big scary? I'm like, yes, of course, there are a lot of challenges. But like, to me, honestly, like I, um, you know, I, you know, day one, I or you know, day zero, I woke up, I was CEO of my own company. Day one, I woke up and I was employee of a different company. But again, I still feel I'm doing the same thing. I, we have the same mission and vision. We're serving the same customers. They have the same problems. Now we just have more resources available to us. So to me, this is a really exciting opportunity. <laughs> so uh, could you please speak about like, what are your future plans? And um, yeah, could you please speak to that? And let's then, then let's talk about your book. So, well, let's, let's set a point in the future and uh, let's, uh, and uh, let's talk about that. Uh, to be honest, like I am um, one of the magical things right now is um, I, I, I would probably say like one of the other, uh, things I've heard from entrepreneurs um, is, you know, that you'll face this internal pressure to once you finish an idea or sell a company, you immediately want to start thinking about next things. Oh, oh my God, I have to work on something next. <laughs> of course, I inevitably am like playing around with different ideas and prototypes and concepts and exchanging ideas with friends. But I am enjoying my time and intentionally taking time before I really sink my teeth into something new one because i want to make sure compass is successful and our customers are successful so that's my goal for the foreseeable future and two i want to give myself time to you know to ruminate on ideas and to think about you know think about things um and so that to me is a very very exciting uh time for me so no i'm not thinking about any one idea in particular 
I know there's no question I do. I have certain criteria I think about, but like, but that that's really it. I, I'm intentionally keeping a blank slate for now. <laughs> Got it. So uh, let's talk about your book. So for everybody who isn't familiar with your book, um, yeah, please please speak to that. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so what keeps what? So the book, um, if you think about what Kentaxi was, Kentaxi was a software platform that was all about providing a strategic approach to helping you build relationships. But as we know, like, you know, a, a good system or successful outcome isn't just about picking the right tool. It's about having the right strategy and process to leverage that tool, right? If I'm, you know, if I'm, if you want to go and build a company, you know, you don't just incorporate the company and say, all right, cool, that's it. Now all I have to do is just do it, right? Um, it's about what is the process that you go about to building for the company and learning from customers. And so it's taking that same mindset to building relationships. Everyone knows relationships are important and networking is important, but far too many of us treat this as like a new new year's resolution, right? It's something that they want to do, but it's not something that most people do or do consistently. So with Contactually, you know, we saw that so many people were coming to us and they had they were looking for a tool, but they what they really needed though was they needed a strategy. Uh, and so the book ended up being everything we learned about the strategy behind relationship building over years and tens of thousands of customer interactions at Contactually was captured in this book, Successes in Your Sphere. So you have to talk about that. I think uh, everybody who's listening to this right now would, would love to hear the, the strategies and processes uh, behind um, how to build relationships. So, Yeah, absolutely. And of course, you're, you're well, welcome to pick up a book. Of course, there are like many webinars and free, free recordings I've given around this. So you don't even need to buy the book if, you, if it's not valuable for you. Um, but I think first we have to align on the need for strategy. Again, If you feel that you can just, if you're a great relationship builder, just by you randomly connecting the dots in your head and you just like, you know, will be on the train all of a sudden say, you know what, I should reach out to Hardy and you can open up your phone and send them an email, know all the information and you know who your important relationships are. Great. This is not the book for you. Contact is not software for you. <laughs> Keep doing it. And no, no, I, I know amazing, amazing professionals for whom their system is a stack of business cards on their desk, right? Mm. Or they can just open up in the morning and take out a piece of paper and just write down the things that they need to do, and that's it. I know many people who are successful at that. For everyone else who's not that, then it's kind of, you know, then it's realizing that we need to set that intention. The first thing that we need to do, therefore, is to be able to set our goals, right? And you and I are very different people, And therefore, the goals that we have with our careers, with our lives, with our businesses, and therefore with our relationships are very different, right? You might be looking for clients. I might be looking for investors. Someone else might be looking for a job. Hmm. Others might be looking for guidance or help or influence or just meeting interesting people and to be inspired. That's completely okay. But we have to be able to set those goals as our top most important thing, because that informs everything else in our strategy. Then, you know, the capital strategy walks you through the, the remaining strategic steps there. So capital stands for consistency. So maintain, maintaining consistency in whatever you do, meaning that, again, you know, just going to the gym once and never going again isn't going to help you. What is going to help you is going to the gym every day or every week or every month consistently that's gonna that's that's what really makes that makes the difference so it's how do you implement that behavior change then then the next step in capital is a for aggregate one of the challenges with relationship building nowadays is that we have so many relationships all over the place right i have contacts in skype i have contacts in e with this email over here i have contacts in another personal email account. Then I have contacts on LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter. And then 
this CRM and this spreadsheet of contacts over here, there's so many different places where our relationships lie, where we're transacting with people. And so one of the first steps that we need to do is we need to bring all of those contacts into one place. And now this is where a CRM could come in handy, but hey, if you're successful using an Excel spreadsheet or a stack of business cards on your desk or taking a big whiteboard and writing down every single people person you know, hey, it works, right? Like just go ahead and implement that. Then that's that's the important thing is to bring in everyone you know because from there the P in capital is prioritized. Hmm. Now, if we think about our goals that we have, we can look at all of our relationships and from then pick out who are the types of people that will help us with those goals and let's focus on those people. So for example, for you, if you're trying to get more clients, right? Well, your best way of getting more clients will be a your past clients because they can provide repeat referral business and b the types of people who are working with your past your your ideal client already right so software developers other marketing agencies you know interesting customers thought leaders whoever right mm. um, those are the types of people that you want to stay in touch with okay out of my network who are those people and how do i make sure that i'm maintaining touch with them so that's so we've talked about consistency aggregate prioritize the next step is intelligence. If we're trying to build a relationship with per, with someone, then we have to go much much further beyond the first name, last name, email address, right? We want to know and understand who they are, what their businesses are, what their goals are, what their passions are, what their family life is like, where they work, what, what their favorite flavor of ice cream is. We want to understand who they are, right? Because again, if we're trying to build a personal relationship, then it has to go far beyond the transactional nature of whatever we hope to work on, right? And so investigate means just you know understanding who that person is. Now, luckily, we're generally very good, very good at that, at least in personal context, right? We want to know, you know, our friends' spouses. We want to know, you know, the names of our you know, friends' kids. We want to know what they like. We want to know when their birthday is. You know, that relates to our professional contacts as well. Um, now, we may need to be a little bit more strategic in terms of doing the research, asking the questions and recording that information. That's fine. But like oftentimes that comes out in like small talk before or after a conversation or they're posting about it on Facebook um, or you can genuinely ask because you care about them as a person. From there, the T in capital is timely engagement. Now, we all know that, you know, if we can't remember what we had for breakfast two weeks ago, how are we going to remember the little details about the person that we met with? Um, or how are they going to remember about us? And so that's where timely engagement, making sure that we maintain that relationship over a long period of time so that mindshare doesn't just decrease and we completely forget about them. How do we make sure we maintain that over a long, long, long period of time. And so that is what is most exciting. That's what's most important. It's not just like, yes, of course, making sure I stay in touch with them every 90 days, but it's also like, hey, let's you know follow them on social media and see interesting things that we can keep in touch with. Those are the kind of things that are really interesting, exciting for us. Um, the next uh, the next part that's really uh, the next part that's really important is adding value. So again, if we figure out who we need to talk to because we aggregate our relationships and prioritize them, we gain intelligence on them, timely engagement, make sure we're getting that trigger of when to follow up, then adding value is about really doing just that, right? Now, you know, we oftentimes think about networking as just follow up, follow up, follow up. But in truth, like we're not trying to follow up with people. We're trying to add value. Because me pinging you saying, hey, Hardy, just, you know, following up on our conversation, you know, that's annoying, right? Um, or, you know, calling them or trying to have coffee just to kind of stay in touch, you know, 
that can oftentimes be an annoying thing. So we have to make sure that we go back and we're trying to add value at every stage. Even if I were just to change my conversation, say, hey, Hardy, just thinking about you, hope all is well. That's a much more valuable experience than, hey, Hardy, just following up, right? Um, because it shows that I care, it shows that I care about you. And the final L in capital is leverage, right? If we want to make sure we're doing this over and over again, then how do we make sure that this is easy as possible, right? It's adding email templates or something like that, uh, that make it easier to follow up with. It's, you know, just like having shoes by the bed in the morning, make it easier for you to roll out of bed and go right to the gym. You know, what are the things that you can do to make it as easy as possible to build and maintain a relationship? Hmm. Great advice. I was uh, just thinking about a few of your principles, for instance, like consistency and adding value. Um, for me, it has been like a huge game changer to, to really um, try to add value all, or to always try to add value and to always keep in touch with people. Like, for instance, I was like, really, I really wanted to get Kamal Ravikant on podcast and I was following up with him, following up, following up. And um, eventually he, he uh, It's now coming on my podcast in two days. Maybe you are also familiar with him. He's the brother of Naval Ravikant and also a huge venture capitalist. And yep. um, and yeah, it's it's so important to to really trying to provide value all the time and not trying to to yeah, like you've mentioned, um, try to to set up coffee dates because I think that this is like the worst way to connect with people. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, at the end, see, I always ask every guest of mine five very quick and short questions. But um, before I ask yep. those, what would you tell to everybody who is listening to this who wants to build great relationships? Anything you haven't touched upon yet? So uh, Don't be afraid of failure. And this applies to like entrepreneurship and business in general. But like embrace failure. You're going to do things that make you look stupid. You're going to reach out to someone who shoots you down. Um, there are going to be people who aren't responding to, you know, like who aren't responsive, um, you know, to your outreach. That's okay, right? The important thing, again, is to not give up, to continue your practice, and great things will happen. You know, I, I still make mistakes all the time. You know, I... Um, I was reaching out to someone and I accidentally uh, used the wrong name because I just like was distracted and I'm like, oh, wow, I screwed up. Right. Um, and that's okay, Right. Like, you know, because, you know, they understand we're human beings. I apologize. I sent them a card. Um, that's okay. So I think the important thing is to not face like um, paralysis because you're so afraid of what to say or what to do. Mm. Just try something. And uh, that's the one things that like constantly was I got reminded about as I was doing interviews and research for the book is that people kept coming saying, yes, you're going to fail. You're going to make mistakes, but just keep trying. Awesome. So uh, could you please tell everybody where can they connect with you on the social webs, uh, buy your book and so on and so forth? Yeah, luckily I'm pretty easy to find. There's only one ZV band out there. So just uh, <laughs> Z-V-I-B-A-N-D. I'm at Skivas on uh, Twitter, uh, at Zvband on Instagram. Uh, you know, I'm very, very easy to find. And of course, the book is called Success is Inner Sphere. It's available online wherever books are sold. And of course, you can go to successisinyoursphere.com. Got it. So uh, the first out of the five question is, um, what are the three books that had the greatest influence on your life? I mean, that's completely unfair because there's so much, <laughs> re there's so much recency bias. Um, I I'll try and maintain a longer view. Um, so Founders at Work by Jessica Livingston. Um, mm -hmm. That was my first view into what the life of an entrepreneur was. Um, the Hard Things About Hard Things by mm. Ben Horowitz. Very popular uh, book. And three, you know, again, going back, uh, Jeffrey Moore's Crossing the Chasm, you know, that I think, you know, really like helped Contaction, again, make a very, very small change that I think is one of the key reasons why we got to the point where we are. Got it. So uh, the second question is, um, what are the three movies that you have enjoyed the most? Uh, Top Gun, Top Gun, and Top Gun. Uh, <laughs> I, I 
I am so, I love Top Gun so much. I don't know. I'll say like I will say Top Gun is one of the uh, is uh, absolutely one of them. Um, I'm a really big fan of No Shame. I'm a really big fan of Starship Troopers. Um, you may be familiar with this absolutely terrible B movie science fiction, but I I loved it. I think it's such a such a cheeseball movie, but it is so great. And um, you know the uh, the third, um, you know it, it's hard to say. Like you know, I would probably say like more recently. You know, I probably say like you know the recent Batman reboot um, with Christian Bale. Like those mm. movies were just so beautiful. <laughs> So uh, the third question is, um, what is the most useful product or service that you have bought in recent memory? Uh, the most useful product service I've bought in, uh, in recent memory. Uh, so for me, uh, getting a Peloton bike, uh, you know, uh, that was huge for me. Um, I love working out. I love spin classes. But with uh, two very young children going out, getting out of the house is not really possible. So that made a huge difference on my personal health. Got it. So uh, the fourth question is, um, what are the most important realizations you've had in the last couple of years? And we had some guests who shared something deeply personal about their business, family life, time, relationships. So speak to anything you feel comfortable sharing with our audience today. Yeah, I think like, and we touched on this earlier on, um, breaking away from that survival mentality is going to be one of the most important things that like I work on moving, moving forward. That's absolutely the most important. Uh, two, uh, the more I focus, the better I do. Um, and three, um, I have to do a better job of identifying my strengths and knowing that my strengths may change over time. Uh, for example, um, I, you know, at least it was early on in my DNA to be a software developer. Uh, you know, I, I was a building software since I was in grade school. Um, and at Contaction, we got to the point where, you know, uh, we were, I was too busy being CEO to stop, to start, uh, to keep writing software. And we hired people who were a lot smarter than me and didn't let me code anymore. And I realized, like, hey, you know, my gift to the world um, and my skill is no longer, you know, building things through actually writing the code myself, but, um, you know, hiring people and building an amazing team and culture to go and do that for me. So that was probably one of the bigger, harder realizations recently. Got it. So uh, the last question for the day is, what would you tell your 20-year-old self? Uh, focus. Um, I say go back to that. Like the more you focus, um, the better, the the more successful you'll be. Now you can still explore and play around, um, but I feel if I had like done that, but still like tried to focus on a particular skill or a particular venture and not try to do too many different things at once, um, I think I would have, uh, you know, I think uh, there things would have broken my way uh, a lot, uh, very differently. Got it. So uh, thank you so, so much um, for being on the show. It was fun talking to you today. So, uh, yeah, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks so much for your time. I love the I love the questions. And of course, uh, if anyone has any questions for me, I'm, I'm always happy to connect. <laughs> awesome. So uh, talk soon. Thank you for listening. If you like this episode, please rate, review and subscribe. Also, make sure to share the podcast and tell your friends about it. Thank you so much for supporting the show. I'll see you in the next episode. Over and out.